Welcome to New Community. It is uh, good to have you here this morning. We are uh, going to mix things around just a little bit. And uh, this service will be a little bit different than usual. I want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here with us. Um, this morning, part of our goal is uh, to be people who listen. Uh, people who are attentive to what the Spirit might be saying to us. People who are eager to hear from God. And so this morning what we want to do is, is kind of set aside all distractions. And uh, before we get into that, what we need this is this to happen. If all of the kids in the room that are in like fifth grade or below, if you would stand up. And I know this is earlier than normal in the service, but you can make your way to the back. They have everything planned. They're waiting for you. So uh, you can head out now, all kids, fifth grade and under. All right, you'll make it, and if you're visiting with us, you'll uh, head right through those doors, and that's where kids' community will take place. Let me pray, and then I'll, I'll kind of explain what we're doing this morning and uh, guide us into a little bit of uh, quiet space. Father, we want to hear from you. We know that uh, life is full of distractions full of times when um, we are scattered because of expectations and commitments and our agenda and in the midst of all of our busyness, at times we fail to hear you. I pray that this morning would be a time where we're listening, that we'd be attentive to what you might say to us, that you would meet us in a unique way and, and, and speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, what I want us to do at the beginning is just to kind of get into a space where we're comfortable, where we're quiet, where we can kind of breathe deep and relax a little bit. Uh, I know at this point you're normally used to still greeting people or uh, singing or uh, walking around and grabbing coffee, but we're entering into uh, a quiet space. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to put a couple... Uh, quotes on the screen here in a moment, and uh, you're just going to read, there'll be three quotes, you're just going to read through those and uh, just reflect on it. What does it mean? What is it saying? What is it communicating? What's it trying to get across? Uh, all of those quotes will reflect on the idea of listening to God or of silence or what he might be saying to us. Um, at the conclusion of that quiet time, then I'll Lead us in prayer, then we'll do a little call to worship, uh, and then I'll kind of explain uh, the rest of our morning after that, all right? So in silence, just read these quotes and, and listen. Prayer is putting ourselves in a place where we can hear from you, but really, so often we've treated prayer as just an opportunity for us to talk at you to bombard you with needs and wants, and to tell you what we think we should do about whatever situation we're in, monopolize the time in such a way that it prohibits us from actually hearing what you might have to say. But I ask that this morning as we set aside time 
as we seek to listen, as we talk about this idea of being people that have a posture of hearing from you, people who have a posture of listening, that we would be open to what you have to say. You would remove distractions, that your spirit would be very present in this place, and that um, the enemy would really have no place here at all. May we be mindful of the fact that you love us deeply and that you are our Savior, that you give us life. And as we pray this, we acknowledge that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own but belong to you, both in body and soul that you are a faithful Savior. May grace and mercy and peace be unto us from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Will you stand with me as we do a call to worship? It's based on Genesis 32, 22 uh, through 31 and Exodus 3, 1 through 15. It says this, I'll read the first part if you will read what's in bold. We gather here in anticipation, seeking an encounter with our holy God who comes among us when we least expect it. Our salvation and honor come from Him alone. O oh, my people, trust him at all times, for he richly blesses us and calls us each by name. Pour out your hearts to him, for he is our refuge. Listen, God is calling. Can you hear it? calling us to turn away from self-interest, to put down the things that distract us. Can you hear it? God has spoken plainly. We have heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. We come into the presence of a God we can neither see nor touch, yet a God we can sense. We come here this morning to worship. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to give one quick announcement, and then I'm going to give you 20 seconds to just greet three people around you. Here's the quick announcement. Read your bulletin. There's announcements in it. Okay? Thank you. Announcements are over. Now, take 20 seconds and uh, just greet one another. Say hi. Shake a hand with those around you and then uh, sit back down. We're happy. Um, The extroverts are kind of bummed because we cut you off short. Sorry about that. Um, But we're going to jump right into the talk this morning. 
And uh, as you know, we've been in a series looking at the life of Jesus. We've been talking about uh, what it means to follow Him, to know Him. We've specifically said it's our intention to imitate the Incarnation. Uh, To look at the life of Jesus as He lived it among us as a human that was fully God and fully man, and then to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we are supposed to do in order to imitate who He is and what He looked like as He lived among us? And so, the last couple weeks, we've been specifically talking about the idea that God was connected to the Father. That Jesus, excuse me, was connected to the Father, to God. There was this deep relationship that the two of them had. It was this abiding relationship. We looked at that passage even in uh, John 15 where we're called to abide. And we we looked at this idea that Jesus was completely dependent upon His Father. There was a sense that uh, everything He did, the direction He received, the wisdom that He had, the results of His ministry, His power, everything flowed from this relationship with God. He completely relied on God, just like we are called to completely rely on the vine. That we are the branches that we're supposed to be connected to the vine in such a way that we receive our uh, sustenance, our life, our energy, our ability to produce fruit. All of that comes from our direct connection to the Father. And then last week, uh, Patrick and Kelly were up here and did a little tag team talk on the idea of dependence. What does it mean to be dependent on God? How do you do that through the the, uh, idea of prayer? And uh, specifically, they looked at four things, if you remember. Uh, Talked about the idea of dependence on God to resist evil. To say no to sin. To walk away from things that distract us from following God. They also talked about the idea of dependence to stay on our mission. That all of us have been called to make disciples. That all of us have mission we're to fulfill, and that part of what we need to do in order to fulfill that is to be dependent on God. They looked at the idea of being dependent for a relationship with God, that it's not just me serving God, but actually me having a deep, abiding relationship with the Father. And then last, they looked at the idea that they're to receive, that all of us are to receive direction That dependence enables us to live in a place where we're receiving direction from the Father. Giving us uh, marching orders, telling us where we should go, what we should do. And I want to extend that a little bit further this morning and talk about maybe another layer of what it means to be dependent or another layer of how to live a life empowered by Jesus. And that is to talk about this subject of listening. I think that when we talk about prayer, so often we talk about us communicating that we fail to mention the importance of us listening, of us being receivers of what God might have to say to us rather than just being people who are talking. And so this morning is about listening, it's about being quiet, it's about this idea of prayerful meditation, prayerful thought. Because listening creates a unique and beautiful space. Between us and God, you notice that even in nature, it creates this unique space between us and nature. And I would argue that listening is probably one of the more overlooked aspects of discipleship. That if you were to to create a list of things uh, that, that 
were essential for us to be good followers of Christ. And you were to create that list, I'm not sure listening would make it, nor am I sure it would make the top ten, right? That listening is just not something we talk about enough, but I would say that it is a, a very important aspect of our faith. And in fact, it was something that Jesus practiced. He had a rhythm of quiet listening and of prayer. He was someone that was constantly listening to the Father. He began his ministry, the Scriptures say, with prayer. And he completed his ministry with prayer. And in between, we read all these stories about 35 different times throughout the New Testament where the Scriptures say to us that he got off alone to pray. That he quieted himself before God. Or that he was listening. It became not just something that he did because he was trying to model for us what it might look like to pray. I mean, there was that time where he prayed and then the disciples said to him, teach us how to pray. And then he said the famous Lord's Prayer, right? So you have those moments which are true, but then you also have these moments where he just by himself would venture off. And I think what he was demonstrating um, or what we can pick up from it is that this was an essential rhythm to his dependence on the Father. This was integral to him seeking this relationship and direction. And we see it in illustration after illustration. I'll give you a few. In Mark chapter 1, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he being Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So he's with a group of people. It's early in the morning. They've all been camping out. He goes out, finds a space all by himself and listens to his father and prays. And then they come and they find him. And next passage in Mark 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, the crowd, he went up on the mountain to pray. The story, those familiar with it, he prayed for hours and hours and then he left there and joined his disciples by walking on the water. And you have that famous story that many of us are familiar with. This next passage in Luke 5 says, But now even more the report about him went abroad and crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Another version says that he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. I mean, what you see is clear patterns of Jesus taking time aside from His schedule, taking time aside from uh, people, uh, to simply be quiet with the Father. And what's interesting, at least to me, is that it seems when you start looking through the Scriptures that these examples of Him stepping aside in listening or praying, you start to recognize that when the circumstances got more intense, the stakes got higher, there was a sense that he withdrew even more. There was a sense that he realized he needed this relationship and this prayer and this listening even more than the rest of the time. You see that he withdrew for prayer right before baptism, right before he's announced to everyone that he is the Son of God. 
that you, you hear the voice of God, that the, the Spirit comes like a dove, that the Trinity reveals itself in that moment. And before that moment, it says He's been spending time praying. You see that He spends time praying before He's led to the cross. That He's praying when He's on the cross. That there were times that He would retreat to pray before specific teachings or specific healings. Scriptures even say that He spent the entire night in prayer before choosing His disciples. The text in Luke says this, In these days He went out to the mountain to pray. And all night He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, He called His disciples and chose from them twelve whom He named apostles. And then it goes on to list those He named. So He has this moment where He has to make probably one of the more significant decisions in history. Right? If you think about it, He lived among us and He passed off His entire ministry to 12 guys. And he had to decide who those guys were. And I don't think he went up on the mountainside to pray and just sat down and said, God, I think it's these 12. I don't think he sat there and uh, just said, hey, God, I'm going to talk to you and you just listen for a while and I'm going to tell you the 12 I think I should pick. Rather, I think he put himself in a place where he was listening to the Father, he was waiting He was attentive. He was asking questions. He was waiting for responses. And together they came to the list that we call apostles. I think what it is, is it's an amazing picture of dependency. A sense that when the stakes were the highest, when there was the most need for God, was the time that we find Him slipping aside to listen. I would say that listening prayer is an essential aspect of what it means to follow and be connected to God. And as I said, I think we have the talking part down pretty well. We talk at God quite often. But the question is, are we people that listen? And so this morning, my desire is to take the remainder of our time and really try to be as practical as possible in nature. I've been tempted to come up with a list of, uh, you know, five tips on how to hear God. Uh, But the fact of the matter is it's not a formula. And so for us to go the direction of just giving you a few tips, I think, uh, fails to recognize the importance of listening. I also, uh, my natural tendency, if you know me, would be to like to just tell you all kinds of things about it. But what I'm going to do is limit the choice of what I tell you to a few things so that we can spend a little bit of time actually practicing it as well. So with that said, before we really get to the meat of what we're going to say, we're going to talk about four uh, main postures, ways in which we can listen to God. But before we get to that, I want to give you two kind of warnings that I think are really important when we talk about the idea of listening to God. First one is this. It might sound pretty obvious, but listening is best done in quiet. Yes, I know it's obvious, but it's best done in quiet. Mother Teresa was asked this question, Mother, what do you consider the most important thing in training of your sisters? You could give them anything. And she said this, silence. Interior and exterior silence. There is no life of prayer without silence. 
And then she went on to explain, and she said this, we need to find God, and He cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. His language is silence, and He requires us to be silent to discover Him, to speak to Him, to listen to Him, and to ponder His words deep in our hearts. Listening is best done in quiet. It's best done in slowing down. It's best done in Sabbath. It's best done without distractions, without noise, without our schedules. But if you're anything like me, I would say that I'm addicted to noise. Maybe you are too. There's a tendency for us to to feel that silence can even be maybe labeled as creepy. You ever been in a in a place where it was like eerily quiet? Maybe you were in the wilderness. Maybe you were out camping, hiking. The worst time for that is when you get up in the middle of the night and you step outside of your tent and you can't see anything and it is the darkest dark you've ever seen and everything is so quiet. In that moment, I'll be honest, I'm a little little nervous, a little timid. I don't know what's out there, right? And it's that quiet, that silence, I think, at times that's intimidating. Silence, really, it it steals away these distractions that often are placed in our lives to maybe dispel the ideas, even in our own mind, that our lives are in some way empty. We don't want to be confronted with that reality. We don't want to face those kinds of facts. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. It reminds us of death, which will cut us off from this world and leave only us and God. And in the quiet, what if there turns out to be very little between us and God? I don't know if that concerns you at all. I don't know if it frightens you, if silence is something that bothers you, but I think silence also creates a space to listen. Let me give you a second caution or warning. Listening is best done if we acknowledge preconditioned listening. Listening is best done if we acknowledge preconditioned listening. And what I mean by that is we have to admit that when we listen, we come into our listening with a little bit of a bias. We already come in with, uh, sometimes, uh, to a certain degree, we hear what we want to hear. To a certain degree, I think we've preconditioned ourselves to hear what we want to hear. And uh, to be honest with you, I take this into account every time I speak. Because uh, I would also say that uh, when I speak, you hear what you want to hear, right? It's true. We all do. Uh, we hear what we want to hear. And sometimes what we hear confirms what we believe, and sometimes what we hear doesn't confirm what we believe. But all of us come with uh, an understanding already in our mind that preconditions what we hear when we listen. And uh, this happens all the time, so I always take into account who, who am I speaking to. If I'm speaking to a youth group, I'll speak one certain way. If I'm talking to a group at a really, really conservative church, I'll start always with the Bible. 
As soon as you start with the Bible, everyone else is at ease. And then you can go on to say whatever you felt like saying anyway, right? <laughs> Just being honest. Um, but in other churches, you can like build and talk and communicate a bunch of things that lead you to the place where then you reveal what the Scripture is teaching and it all makes sense if they've followed along, right? And so sometimes in some groups, you'll, you'll be more animated, you'll share more stories. In other groups, you just want to give straight facts. And, and it's always changing who your audience is because part of it, you know, is dependent on what it is they are used to hearing or what it is they want to hear. Let me give you a couple examples um, in case you are hearing something that says that you don't believe me. Okay? Um, one, let's just say for a moment that I made this statement. God requires that you give 10% of your money to new community. Okay? Let's just say I made that statement. I don't think you've ever heard me make that statement before, but let's just say that's what I said. God requires you to give 10% of your money to new community. Now, let me give you a couple reactions. Reaction number one, uh, some of you would react with guilt because few of us actually give 10% of what we make to the church. So some of us, would, our initial reaction or what we would hear is like, oh man, I'm supposed to feel guilty about that particular statement. A second reaction would be this. Russ obviously hasn't studied the scriptures enough because he doesn't realize that Old Testament law is superseded by New Testament, right? The New Testament is grace and we're supposed to live into generosity. And so, Russ, that's an Old Testament law. You haven't figured that out. Go back to seminary and study a little bit more, right? So that's the second response that some of you might have. A third response would be this. Uh, you just get flat out angry. Like, who are you to tell me what to do with my money? You shouldn't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm the master of my own money, my own domain. I can do what I want to do with my money. Uh, God's entrusted it to me, so don't tell me what to do with my money. A fourth reaction would be this. Satisfaction. Some of you are going, well, finally. Finally, Russ is communicating what I theologically believe to be true. I've believed it for a long time. We've never said it around here. We rarely even talk about money. Come on, Russ. Finally, let's go. Let's talk about it. Good. You are. Thank you. I feel satisfied, right? You get the idea. It's far-ranging. Let me give you another one just to reinforce the point. God loves everyone unconditionally, and one day everyone will come to know God's love. Let's say I make that statement in a sermon. That God loves everyone unconditionally and one day everyone will come to know God's love. First reaction, excitement. Okay? Some of you are saying, man, I love it when we talk about the idea that God is desperately in love with us. Like, I, there's nothing more that I want to hear when I'm at church than to understand grace and mercy and forgiveness and a passionate love, and to know that regardless of what I do and how I screw up in life, that God will be and continues to be faithful. That His mercies are renewed every morning. The Scripture says, great is His faithfulness. He has deep, deep love for us. He sings songs over us. I could go on and on and speak to this idea that God is desperately in love with us, and that inspires us, and we hear it, and we're excited. Right? The second reaction is, can you believe that Russ has such a lax attitude towards sin and God's justice. Because God holds us to standards. He desires holiness. He calls all of us to obey. 
And when we don't, we need to be reminded that we're not fulfilling what God's desires are. And so some of you are saying, man, we talk too much about grace. We talk too much about love. So yes, that's a great statement, only as long as it's juxtaposed with the idea that God is also about sin and justice. Maybe another reaction would be this. Russ is a universalist. I've always known it. He believes everyone will go to heaven. See, it says everyone. And then it says that they will know God's love. And the only way to know God's love is actually to receive it. So therefore, Russ is a heretic. Right? And so this is how the, the, every time I get up to communicate, you get the idea. We all come with preconceived listening. Now let me give you just a quick word about this before we move on. Uh, some of you think what I say matters, and that's really nice of you. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate that. Others of you probably have more of the approach, and I agree with this one a little more, um, that I offer some suggestions that are meant to be understood within the context of community that you are then to interpret for your relationship with God and with others in this community and in this city. And in doing so, you will examine and hold carefully to that which is true and kind of push aside that which you consider to be not necessarily relevant to you and to your relationship with God and others. Does that make sense? Still, some of you will think that I speak on behalf of the church in some odd way and that what I say is the exact opinion of every board member on the the elders and every staff member which, by the way, we all have quite varied opinions on almost all of life, even down to, like, what you eat, right? We all have opinions, different foods, uh, different thoughts about exercise and life, different thoughts about theology, a bunch of wonderings about things. And uh, so, yeah, it's quite mistaken that I do not speak on behalf of the entire church because look at you. There's, like, 300 people all having the different opinions and yet all a part of one body. That's the beauty of the church. Now I say all of this, and I make these points to make this point. We come, I believe, to God in the exact same way. We come with preconditioned ears. We come to hear simply what we want to hear. to tell God what we want Him to reaffirm. So let me give you four postures that I think will steer us from these two warnings into what it means to be listeners, right? Number one. And and this is why I chose postures. Let me pause one more second. This is why I chose postures. Because I think postures actually get at what God desires far more than just the completed action. Right? It's the intent on the journey which is more significant often than the exact action. Does that make sense? God loveth adverbs, he careth not how good but how well. Have you heard that before? It's a Puritan proverb. The idea behind it is that he loves the intent and the desire going toward what it is we're supposed to pursue because he knows that the exact action doesn't always come out the way we intend it. I'll give you an illustration. Um, My daughter, along with many of your kids, go into that back room, and at some point, they do a craft. And then they come out with this craft. 
And uh, I think my daughter's a little bit like Pablo Picasso with her craft. And the reason I think that is everything is like early cubist. It, none of it like actually makes any sense. It's disjointed. It's like uh, all put in the wrong place. It uh, does not look the way I think she probably even intended for it to look. You know, you look at it and you're like, what is that? And then she's like, well, guess. And then you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and then you kind of throw out a quick guess and uh, you're usually wrong. And, uh, but here's the point. It's created. She creates it with absolute love. She creates it with this great desire to present to me or to her mom or to the family or to someone else this craft that she made and she wants to show it off and say, I made this, right? And she presents it with love. And it's the intention behind it. I don't look at it and go, well, you know, that actually makes no sense. And you color it outside the lines. It's a piece of junk. Let me rip it up and throw it out. No, I would never do that. And neither would you. Why? Because we understand it's the intention and not the product, right? Well, I think, I hope that God treats my prayer the exact same way. Because my prayer is disjointed. It doesn't make sense sometimes. I communicate and I don't even know what I'm saying. Sometimes I ask for the wrong things and then He tells me to ask for something different. But you know what I think is that He understands the posture I come in. He understands the way, the attitude, the heart behind what I'm trying to say and what I want to communicate. And in doing so, He actually hears what I'm saying. Because it's created in love. So I want to give us uh, four uh, postures that all come, uh, most of them come, from uh, St. Ignatius and what it means to listen and be present with God. First one is this, openness. If you're taking notes, openness is approaching Christ with an open heart and an open mind. We, we have to approach Christ with an open heart and an open mind. This desire to hear from Him. And really, an open an open heart speaks to the idea of readiness. Like, like, Lord, we're ready to hear from You. That I'm anticipating it. That I'm eager about it. That, that I come with the belief that God is always communicating. Right? That it's not just He every now and then wants to speak something to me, but that He is always speaking to me. And it's only every now and then that I actually take time to hear. And so it's an opportunity to say, God, I'm, I'm ready, I'm present. Henry Nouwen says it this way, prayer is first of all listening to God. It's openness. God is always speaking, He's always doing something, and prayer is to enter into that activity, to be listening. Not only is it an open heart, it's an opened mind. What I mean by that is to come in with no predetermined plans. We just talked about this idea of preconditioned hearing, right? I think we sometimes even come in with predetermined plans. So like our self-will, our bias, our, as uh, St. Ignatius calls it, our uh, like attachments, those things that we desire or want or long for often limit the freedom or they put conditions on what we're able to hear from God. Uh, very simply, many of you here in this room are college students. Here would be an example of preconditioned or predetermined plans God, I'm open to go to whatever college you want me to go to as long as it's within a day's drive of my parents' home. Right? That's not openness. That's like telling God that there's conditions 
on what it is you're willing to hear. And we all do it in different ways, right? That's just one simple illustration. But it's difficult to truly hear from God if we enter into the process closed off from what we're hearing. Be open to what God would have to say. Second posture is generosity. So in order to enter into a listening posture of true openness, that requires a generous spirit. See, generosity is a largeness of heart that puts no conditions on what God might be calling us to. Maybe the best way to understand this would be uh, a check from a checkbook, right? So you have a check. And uh, you've heard the expression, giving God a blank check before. Have you heard that before? Giving God a blank check or writing someone a blank check. Now, there's several ways to leave the check blank. If you leave the section at the bottom where you would normally sign it, if you leave that blank, then all you have is just a piece of paper, right? A piece of paper with script. It doesn't matter what it says. It doesn't matter if it says a million dollars on there. It doesn't matter what. As long as that part in the bottom isn't signed, it's not worth anything because the bank looks at it and says there's no one backing this particular request for money. Right? There's another way to leave that blank, and that's to, re- to leave the, uh, the person who's receiving it empty and then sign it and then write the amount in. And that's what I think we usually do with God. We're like, God, you can put your name in that blank, that's fine. But before you do, let me sign it and let me write that the amount you're getting is 20 bucks. Right? And I don't mean like the amount in the offering. The amount of your life. That when you come to Him in prayer and you say, God, I'm wanting to be open, I'm wanting to hear... It requires generosity because if you already write in there the amount before you listen to Him, then you're not really open and generous to the point where you would say, God, I'm willing to let you write the amount. So it looks more like this. It would look like us writing our name at the bottom, signing it, us saying it's paid to the order of God, right? Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the Trinity. You get to choose... And then the amount is left empty. To say, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you're asking. So a posture of generosity is allowing God to fill in the blank on the amount and the content of the check. It's allowing Him to basically say, this is what I desire. So it's us not putting any conditions on Him. That's what generosity is. So you have to have openness and then you have to have generosity. The third thing I would say, a third posture is you have to have courage. And the reason I say courage is because if you have openness to hear, right? And then you have generosity to say, so much so that you say, God, there's no limit, no restriction. You can write it in for whatever you want. That requires courage. And I think it requires it in a couple ways. Uh, Courage, because what God might be asking of you is actually difficult. Challenging. Would really require something of you. Might even be risky. Has there been a time in your life where you said, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. And then when he told you what it is you wanted, you were like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Right? That's why it takes courage. 
That's why sometimes I don't think we want to ask. I mean, I've told God that before. God, what I want to say to you right now is that I don't want you to tell me because I don't want to have to do it. And I probably know what you're going to say, and I really don't like it. I mean, have you had those kind of talks before? That's why it takes courage. Because you might be asking something difficult. I think it also takes courage because you have to give up control. And what we as humans love is a semblance of control. Because we don't really have it. We just trick ourselves into thinking we do. But we like to feel like we have control. So it takes courage to say, I'm, I'm not in control. God, it's what you desire. But I think it also takes courage because it takes courage to obey it. So after you hear it, after he does tell you what it is he wants, then to actually follow through with it and obey it. It's a whole other thing. Because sometimes what you hear doesn't make any sense. And still you're called to obey. I remember right before we moved here to Spokane, we were in Indiana. And uh, we had been there for... um, Ten years, we've been serving at a church and a Christian school, and we really didn't think in any way that we were going to be moving, and then God made it really clear, you're going to be moving. Problem is, He didn't tell us where. He didn't tell us what we're going to be doing next. He just simply said, you're done. And uh, so we asked for more clarity on that, and He said, yeah, you need to go in and tell them that you're done. And you'll be done, this is in January, tell them in January you're done and that you're leaving and you won't be employed with them anymore in the summer, like in June or July. I said, okay, where are we going? He said, you don't know, I'm not telling you, do that first. So we did. We went in, I told uh, several bosses, like, hey, listen, um, God's calling us to leave, where are you going? I have no idea, he's just telling us we're supposed to go. They're like, okay. So I tell them, we know that in like the end of June, beginning of July, job's done, employment's over. I help them fill my positions at the church and school. So it's like there's no going back, right? This is happening. And so then we like, okay, what do we do? We have a house. We're going to need to sell it. And we hear God say to us, uh, sell your house. I want, I want you just to sell it. It's January. Try to sell it now, Okay. If you ask most realtors, January, probably not the best time to put your house up. So I put a little ad about that big in the newspaper that said, open house on Sunday. This is the address. Come by our house. I didn't say that, but I was like, you know, come get it. And um, (laughs) it snows for our open house. It snows somewhere between four and six inches. This is the last Sunday. In, uh, in January. So we told our employee, employers that we're done. We sell our, we're like saying, hey, we're going to try to sell our house. Four to six inches that Sunday, two couples come in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, I couldn't even be there. It was Shannon by herself just saying, hey, here's our house. Look around. I mean, there's, here's like some cookies or something. I mean, like we did everything wrong. This whole thing is like completely wrong. But God had told us, sell the house and put it up in January. So we did. And um, this one couple called us back in the middle of the week and said, hey, we're interested in looking at it again. 
Can my mother come see it? We're like, well, that sounds like a good sign, right? So they come a second time, and then uh, they call us back, and they say, we'd like to sit down with you and talk about your house on Friday. So this was Sunday they walked through, Friday, we'd like to make an offer on the house. I said, okay. Uh, So it's just me sitting down. I called a realtor friend uh, who said, hey, I'll do paperwork if you actually can sell this thing, right? And so... The realtor's sitting next to me. The couple's on the other side of the table. Shannon's with me. And we said, um, okay, uh, do you have questions about the house? Do you, what do you want to know about it? Is there, do you want to look around again? And they're like, no, I think we're ready to offer. I'm like, okay, what's your offer? And they go, well, we'll just give you full asking price. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that sounds great. And then I was like, can, can, you, can you wait a second, though? I Just hold on one second. So I grabbed the realtor. And we walk into the back, and I go, it is January 29th. We are not done with our job until, like, the end of June. We have nowhere to live between January and June. And uh, she's like, well, that's a problem, you know? (laughs) And I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back out. Just tell me if this is okay. I'm going to go back out, and I'm going to say, Yes, you can buy the house. We love it. It's a great idea. Um, but can we live in it until June? So buy it, and then we'll just live in it until June. And then, and then you can live in it afterwards. And she's like, nobody does that. And I was like, well, I'm just going to ask. I, and, and she's like, well, if you want to. I mean, she's kind of like, that. you're dumb, right? But... So I go back out, and I sit back down with a couple, and uh, I said, hey, thank you for your offer. That's fantastic. We'd like to sell you the house. We only have one problem. The problem is uh, we want to live in it till the end of June. Are you okay with that? And they looked at me, and they go, actually, that would be a really great idea. That would, and I was like, what? I was like, like completely confused for a second. They're like, actually, yeah, it would allow us to save a little bit more money. Uh, so we'll, we'll agree to buy it. We'll sign it today. We'll put money down on it. And then you guys live in it until the end of June. And then we'll occupy it. And so that's what we did. And uh, I kid you not, we signed the last bit of paperwork, took our like stuff out of the house to fly out here to interview for this job. None of that would I have ever known months before. Because sometimes you have to have the courage to just say, that's what I heard, and that's what I'm going to do. Not because it makes sense, but because it's what God told me to do, right? Some people will often say to me, well, I don't feel like I hear from God. I haven't heard it from Him in a while. And so I ask this question. This is what also takes courage. I say, when was the last time you heard Him? Have you heard Him before? And they say, yes, absolutely. I said, when was the last time you heard him? And then they usually tell me a specific time in which they heard God say something. And then I ask them this question. And so I ask all of you the same question. Did you do what he said? Did you do what he said? Because I think some of us aren't hearing him presently simply because the last time he spoke, we decided not to follow through with it. We decided not to do it. And so now... He's just kind of waiting. If we rewind the tape, we get back to that moment and we say, God, I, I, I will do that. I will do it. And when I do it, 
I'm convinced that what ends up happening is that he begins, you begin to hear him again, right? He's been waiting for you to follow, and it's an opportunity to follow. Let me give you a fourth and final one. I think we have to open to God, open ourselves to God through others. Be open to God through others. And here's what I mean. There are many ways to hear God. You can hear God through his word, and that is often how he speaks. You'll hear God through silent nudges or impressions or dreams, a host of other ways in which you hear. But I'm also convinced that you hear God through other people. That sometimes someone will speak to you and it is as if God is directly speaking to you. Because the same spirit that is in them is the same spirit that is in you and there's this communication that's happening where God enables them to share something that is exactly what you needed to hear. But I would also add to that this, that sometimes what God does is He allows you to hear something and then to go to your small group, to your community, to people of faith that you are in relationship with and you say, this is what I heard. Does that make sense to you? This is what I heard. Is that what I'm supposed to do? And then what happens, again, through the Spirit, is there's this way that God affirms what it is that we're hearing. There have been numerous times where I've heard something and I go to the community and I say, do you hear this also for me? And they'll pray about it. And then they'll agree with me. And then sometimes, depending on how well you've poured yourself into community, they say, that's a risk but we're in it with you. We've got your back, right? That's what community is about. Venturing together to hear God and then saying we're in it together. And so that last one is to open yourself to God through others. Now here's what I want us to do to kind of wrap up our time. I actually want us to spend time listening for a few minutes. And so the slides are going to go And we're just going to have a space of quiet for a few minutes. Just follow what the slides are saying. There's going to be some questions on the screen, things to ask yourself about the posture of listening. And uh, we'll just take a moment to be quiet. And then uh, after a few minutes, the uh, worship band will come up and, and finish our time in worshiping God through song. Let's pray. God, we want to be active listeners. We want to be people who hear what you have to say and follow. We want to be people that that quiet ourselves and our spirit enough to be able to get through the distractions and the noise and our own preconceived ideas and thinking and feeling and get to this space where we're actually present with you, where you have our full attention and we are open and generous, and courageous, and willing to hear. So God, help us to be that now, as you speak to us even more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As a benediction, your community, may God grant us the grace to gradually learn to listen to a voice that says that you are the beloved, and on you my favor rests. May this week we hear that voice from a very deep place, even though that voice is quiet and gentle, and may we have the courage to follow. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.